and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. This week's guest is the legendary Dee Wallace. And Dee, best remembered for portraying Mary, the kid's mom, and E.T. We talk about that movie classic. We also talk about some of her other amazing roles in Cujo, The Howling, a very underrated Frighteners, starring Michael J. Fox. And believe it or not, Dee is up to her 200th movie credit. We discussed that feat and some of her recent movies and upcoming movies, including Red Christmas, Critters Attacks, and Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. And we discussed some of the amazing directors she worked with, including Rob Zombie, Peter Jackson, and of course, Steven Spielberg. Dee, super nice lady, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with her. Congrats on your, your latest credit. Uh, that's amazing. I know. I didn't even know it till I heard it from my publicist. Right, <laughs> I went, yeah. really? When, when did I do all that? Right, but, yeah. you know, I guess I just really love what I do. And right. um, so I just do it for the love of doing it. And I don't track any of that stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and especially for an actress who doesn't do porn to get that many credits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I have not added that to my repertoire yet. Absolutely right. not. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'll be the day. Right, exactly. But I, I just watched uh, Red Christmas. Oh, what'd you think? I, oh, um, I'm going to say it. Thank God I'm Jewish. No. <laughs> it, it, was, it, it was, I really enjoyed it. It was, I did not expect the ending at all and which is great that what makes a good horror movie yeah yeah because you you're in when i watch horror movies i try to take you know who's going to die first try to predict the order and yeah i'm not going to spoil for anyone who doesn't watch it but go watch it it's on all the streaming sites but i i really enjoyed your character was great and it was really well done thank you i i really love that film and um i love it for a lot of reasons first of all the people that right. I got to work with and, and Craig, our director. But I loved it because it was really different and it was making a, a social statement in the middle of a horror film. I mean, who knew you could do right. that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Right, because, you know, with the whole beginning, you really didn't know how the, how the movie was going to play out because it's like right Christmas and then they're showing, like, you know, a building – being blown up and i really didn't know how the movie was going to play out but it was it was really, really well done and, yeah, uh, yeah thank and, you yeah thank and you, you. Shot that in australia correct yes yeah, beautiful so. australia right so how did that love happen? the country love the people right yeah how did that project come about um in a very very interesting way um craig somehow had hooked up with one of the guys that was in my acting class, because I still go work out uh, in a class every once in a while. And um, he said, my God, is there any way that you would have a connection with T. Wallace? And he said, well, just so happens she's in my acting class. (laughs) So he asked me, and I said, absolutely. Give him my email, tell him to contact me, and I'll talk to him about it. And um, we Skyped, and I just fell in love with with Craig. He's just the sweetest, dearest man on the human earth. And 
Um, and he sent me the script, and I went. I emailed him back, and I said, look, I love this. I love the social stuff you're trying to do here. But a dog got killed right in the beginning of the film, and I went, you know, I don't think you should do that. I I um, I think there's one way to really lose an audience quickly, and that's to gruesomely kill a kid or a dog. Right. You know, uh, even if it's a horror film. So um, he kind of scouted it out with people that he worked with and trusted, and they agreed. And um, but that that was just a, you know a small suggestion. I mean, I had I. Certainly had a lot of input when I was there shooting it, which I really appreciated, which is why he chose to give me a producer credit. That was not contractual. Right. Um, but, I, you know, what's fascinating after watching that, can you believe we did the whole film with three lights? Yeah, it's amazing because, I mean, it's it was very, like, just the, the lighting was very dark, but everything, like, outside the house, in the beginning was completely dark. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was well done. I mean, you can tell it's shoestring budget, but if you have a good script, good acting, that's all you need. Yeah, I agree. And I I don't know. I thought the production values looked pretty good on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I mean, I've done a lot of bigger budget pictures that haven't looked as good. Right. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. So like he mentioned that you know he's a connection to D. Wallace. Do you get that a lot where people will say? I need a D. Wallace type, and then they just end up contacting you for a role? Um, not as much as I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yes, uh, I mean, it's funny. My agents get that all the time. We we need a D. Wallace type. And he said, well, I have D. Wallace. Do you want to talk to her? Right. right? But a lot of times um, they want a younger D. Wallace. They want somebody that does what I used to do in E.T., you know, right. And in that case, that would be my daughter, Gabrielle Stone, <laughs> who, right. by the way, I have to get this pitch in for her. Everybody go out and buy her book. Eat, pray, FML. It's right. available on Amazon right now. You are going to love this book. OK, that's my that's my plug. That's my nepotism <laughs> for the day. Oh no, absolutely! You're, 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 you got you got to be her biggest supporter. So I, I totally get that. I but, am, and I always will be. Right. Was there ever a time, like when she came to you, you know, saying she wants to get involved in business, that you kind of discouraged her, or you just nope. went the, the other route, just saying, I'm, "I'll give you the kind of like you know the details and how to properly do it." Well, let me tell you, from the day she was born, I knew she was going to be an artist of right. some type. Uh, every night of her life, she put on a skit. She choreographed a dance. She sang us a song. I mean, that, you know, she'd have a slumber party and we'd have a whole play, right? So it does not surprise me that she has become a successful actress and director and writer. Um, so I never pushed her into it. Um, I I never got her a commercial agent or anything like that when she was little. Um, but... As she got into middle school and high school, she became more interested in it. And um, and when she was old enough, I let her come into my acting studio and train. And um, I, I'm a firm believer in the fact that we all come in with our own agenda. 
Right. And if if parents would step back and really watch what their kids are drawn to and what gives them joy and fills their creativity, uh, the world would be a much happier place than trying to keep them safe by what we think they should do. Right. No, it's it's great advice. I have two, and I have one on the way, and it's like just watching them, you know, growing and making their own choices. You know, you want to be supportive, but you don't want to be, you know, too too much involved in their decision-making. Yeah, you want to guide them. Right. You know, I mean, obviously as parents, we have a duty to protect them from things that are unsafe that they don't know about yet, you know, and to encourage them and teach them how to make choices, wise choices in their life, but choices that give them joy and that where they can follow their own authentic self. And um, I think the world would be so much happier (laughs) if we all did that with our kids. Agreed. We we definitely need more happiness in this world, totally. (laughs) But uh, before all those those credits, you know, stage, screen, um, how did you get involved in acting? What was, like, kind of, like, the you know the cause of it i was born <laughs> yeah, <fair> um, <laughs> but um well i i do mean that because i think we all have a propensity to what we are going to be when we're when we're born um but i was born into a family it was a real dichotomy because both my mom and dad were incredibly creative people um and they had they lived in a world where they didn't have a lot of money, and so both of them had to work regular jobs. My mom was a secretary, my dad was a salesman um, but we were very active in our church, and my mother was a fabulous actress in her own right in Kansas City in community theater and <clears throat> so I would watch her perform and um, direct the plays at church. I I say with humor, but but truthfulness. I started out as baby Jesus, and before I left for New York, I was the Virgin Mary. So <laughs> <laughs> so that was really my introduction. As poor as we were, my mom bartered her services to get me dance lessons and what they called elocution lessons. Um, which was how to enunciate your words, you know. And they would give me little readings to memorize and perform. And so I was kind of groomed at a very, very early age um, to do everything creative. And I actually wanted to be a dancer when I started out and was a, a soloist with a couple of ballet companies in the Midwest. And um, was a very big fish in a very little pond, and I was never going to go really far. And I wanted to do something where I could go really far, so I shifted into acting because I knew it. But, you know, I also got my teaching degree, taught a year of high school, so my mother knew I would be able to make a living in my life. Right. Um, And then off to New York I went, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Now, um, when you moved to New York, did you have any work like lined up, or you just went on a whim? Hell no! I just, <laughs> I just went on a whim. I did um, 
find an apartment to rent a little studio before I got there. And I did, the day I landed in New York, I had an audition for Hal Prince, which I had set up from a newspaper article and sending him a very cheesy letter and cheesy picture. Right. And um, his assistant called me and said, well, you know, Mr. Prince wants to fly you in. I said, oh, I've already got a ticket, <laughs> right? He would have shown, flown me first class and the whole thing. And um, so the day I arrived in New York, I sent all my belongings in a taxi cab <laughs> by themselves to the address of my apartment, and I went straight to Rockefeller Center to audition. And I got down to the last five girls after the, the dancing and the acting, and they said, okay, Mr. Prince would like to hear you sing. And I went, oh, I, I didn't know we had to sing. And his <laughs> assistant looked at me and she said, well, dear, it is a musical. <laughs> so that was my infamous first day in New York City. Right. So I'm assuming you didn't get the part. <laughs> I did not get the part, but by the time I left, I knew I had to study with Uta Hagen. I had three top singing teachers I had the lay of the land from all the gypsies in town, so uh, it was worth it. And very quickly after that, I was booked on the biggest industrial show you could get in New York uh, as a dancer. It was called the Millican Show from Millican Fabrics. Okay. And thought I had died and gone to heaven. We got to keep all our clothes and we were paid, you know, more money than I'd ever seen in a week because I'm, again, from a very poor family. So, you know, uh, one thing always leads to another if you just stay in joy, keep your heart open, and trust yourself. You, you know, the universe will play with you then. Right. But uh, more importantly, did your belongings make it to your apartment safely? Absolutely. Okay, good. You know, yep. Yeah. New York, you know, that time, you know, you, you can never be too sure. <laughs> Well, everybody, when I tell that story, their jaws drop. But, I, you know, I just always kind of attracted the energy that was going to take care of me. Right. So, obviously, before you landed E.T., you were in some pretty big horror movies, uh, Hills Have Eyes, The Howling. Were, what, were you, like, a fan of horror movies before you landed? Those I was not. I'm, <laughs> I'm very much a wuss. Right. And um, I remember my my older brother had to babysit me one weekend, and he showed me uh, The Bride of Frankenstein. Well, I didn't sleep for freaking two months. My mom was so pissed off. She made him let me sleep with him until I got my courage back. Right. And so I'm 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 very wussy. I mean, I love a really good classic horror film like A Quiet Place last year I thought right. was brilliant. Most of what we call horror now are really slasher films. Yeah. Um, but I love dramatic, emotional characters. I love to find all those places within myself. And let's face it, the horror genre um, offers you that opportunity more than any other genre we have. So, um, you know, I was very lucky. I did some amazing movies of the week. Um, back in in the 80s, you know, it was 
they were doing all kinds of movies about women getting raped and women right. getting beaten and <laughs> yeah. you know so i was like woohoo i love all this stuff yeah. and um so the horror genre kind of found me and uh, i realized how much i enjoyed that kind of work and so um you know i go in and out i've i've got a beautiful little family film coming out the first of next year called renovation of the heart while I'm doing Rob Zombie's Three from Hell and the new Critters reboot. Right. And Critters kind of lies somewhere in the middle of those two other projects. So I love the fact that I'm not um, cubbyholed, you know. And um, one of the casting directors that hires me a lot says, you know, D. We so appreciate actors like you because we can stick you in anything. I said, I think that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, it's basically like the Swiss Army knife of actresses. You know, you can just do anything. You, you know, there you go. So I'm versatile. a Swiss Army knife. I yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was going to ask you about the critters in a second, but, um, like, have any the roles that you've done, it doesn't have to be horror, have they, like, stuck with any of them, have, like, stuck with you after complete filming? Oh, dear God, Cujo. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, Cujo is a film I'm proudest of. It also almost killed me <laughs> while I was shooting it. Um, you know, and of course, E.T. will be with me all my life. Um, right. It's our Wizard of Oz. And everywhere I go, I hear new stories of how the film is changing people's lives and um, healing them, and so, yeah, those two films are kind of the, I love the Howling, I love the Frighteners, but those two films are definitely at the top of my list. Right. Now, I'm not going to ask you, like, did you know E.T. was going to be a humongous, but, like, what were your expectations going into that movie? Well, you know, I, I don't think any artist, director, producer, actor, I mean, you know, of course, they they always want a great product, but I don't think any creative goes in going, oh, my God, this is going to make me so much money or this is going to be the biggest thing, you know. Uh, I, I, I always go in with the intention of being as authentic and truthful as I can be. And... Um, and then if it's a big hit, great. And if it's not a big hit, the people that see it, at least I am in my integrity in my work. After finishing it, did you, like, know that this was going to be, like, I wouldn't say a blockbuster, you know, one of the greatest movies ever, but just a good movie? Well, I, again, if if we knew we had a hit, we'd have a lot more of them, as Blake right. Edwards said to me after we did 10. Um but I, I think we all knew we had something special. We knew that the script was extremely special, Melissa Madison's script, and um, a great director, and some really beautiful actors, and great DP. I mean, you know, we had all the elements of making an incredible film, and I've been in projects where you've had that before, where the projects, you know, don't end up um, changing people's lives. 
and being blockbusters. So again, you just come in and do the best you can, and really then it's up to the public about whether they're ready for you or not. Right, and I, I, I never throw this term around too much, I don't think really too many people do, because I don't really think there are that many perfect films, but E.T. is truly like a perfect film. I agree. I agree in in every way, um, from the script to the production to um, how we all brought it to life, to the editing, the music, of course, John Williams' beautiful score. Right. Um, it's a film doesn't last as long as E.T. has lasted without a lot of perfection. Yeah, and that's probably why in like this day and age where you know everything has a sequel and remade, rebooted, that E.T. was just left alone, and rightfully so. I, I really second that. Steven asked me when we were shooting it, because people were already asking him, what about a sequel? And I said, I don't know, Steven, I think you should leave it the classic that it is. And I, I guess he's agreed so far. Right, because I guess... It, and I think that's good. You you know, you, you have spinoffs and stuff from The Wizard of Oz, but you never have had The Wizard of Oz 2, and I hope we don't. <laughs> it's totally agreed, yeah. Because, you know, if this movie was, you know, made now, you know, just, you know, original movie made now, they would spin off cartoons, you know, all the streaming sites. You, you'd probably see 9 million E.T. prequels and sequels. Every character would have one, so... It just it was perfect time and perfect movie and I'm glad that so many people were including myself were affected by it. Me too and continue to be so for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But um one I guess actor who worked with Steven Spielberg and Raiders Lost Ark, uh Harrison Ford who filmed the scene that eventually got cut out of the movie. Uh he played the principal and you were in the scene as well. Uh just can you just talk a little bit about that scene and if Obviously, I think Stephen made the right choice leaving it out of the movie. Um, I don't. There's different opinions on that. But I, I know that Stephen really wanted everybody to be childlike until the doctors and the bad guys came on the scene, right. it, which is one of the main reasons I was cast. He thought I had this childlike vulnerability right. about me, and, and I do. And, um, but when it came to that scene, I think, you know, Harrison certainly was an adult figure, and I don't think we saw anybody else's adult face until the end where the bad guys came in. And, and that was purposeful on Stephen's part because he, he really wanted to capture the innocence and the, the youth of of that whole young world and then the evilness that adults can destroy it with I guess <laughs> right and yeah because the scene I guess that would have uh, went right before the Harrison Ford scene was when Elliot was letting the frogs go and you saw the science teacher but you only saw him basically from the chest down so you never saw his face yeah yeah my my ET story uh, is not really about the movie. It's about the ride at Universal, which I waited I think almost two hours to get on. I was super excited. I was I think about ten, nine, ten years old. We're on the ride. We're at the you know apex of it. 
the lights go out, the whole ride stops. So we're on the bike. Oh my god! We're on the bike yeah. at DT for about 20, 25 minutes until like te- technicians come and uh, fix it. But uh, yeah, that that was something else. <laughs> yeah, well, that can be very scary to a kid. So I I hope you de- didn't identify that fear with a movie afterwards. Oh no, yeah, not at all, not at all. But imagine like if that happened now. You know, people would have their phones out, and you know recording it with flashlights and everything like that so it would have been a, a, a little you know easier waiting for people to come rather than just you know sitting in the dark but no that, that didn't change yeah. my per- perception of the movie at all just changed my perception of the you know amusement park that's it <laughs> but well yeah because we, we want you to have happy memories of et <laughs> of course yeah i totally do and you know it's it's touch every ge- generation you know my kids love it and it's just one of those movies that, it's a timeless classic so you keep passing it down, dude. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I'm just gonna throw some directors out that you've worked with. You mentioned, you know, Stephen, kind of like the child, you know, like innocence. Um, some other ones you worked with, uh, Joe Dante, who did uh, Critters. Oh my God, I love Joe. Joe, he's so much fun and he's so funny, and um, he really raised the level of the Howling up. Um, to an A film, you know, he paid for all of the old movie clips himself. It was his idea to go back and research and use all the names of the old um, werewolf movies. And the fans love that stuff. They love somebody who really takes it seriously and knows what he's doing and and brings that all the old genre. Uh, you know, back in, and Joe and I are friends to this day, and hopefully forever. Right, and then you know, following that, he directed Gremlins, which you were in Critters, and I guess it's an unfair comparison between Gremlins and Critters. I think they're two totally different movies. Uh, they're both great. I, I like Critters, uh, and you're also gonna be in Critters Attacks, which is a TV movie coming out in. October. I saw the trailer. It's very 80s-ish, and it's, it's, it's very cool, and you're a real badass in it. I know. I had a lot of fun. When they brought it to me, I went, oh, I don't know. First of all, I had to make sure they were using puppets for the critters right. because if they were doing CGI, the fans would not have been happy. Oh, absolutely. And second, I was really thrilled to play um, what Helen has become, you know, into from a farm wife into this badass bounty hunter right yeah and the trailer is on uh, online now so check it out the movie comes out in october and it looks it looks a lot of fun so can't wait for that oh one. it's a lot of fun yeah yeah the fans are going to be happy yeah right. another director you worked with peter jackson who directed you in i'd probably say one of the most underrated movies of the 90s the frighteners absolutely yeah they should re-release it, I think. Agreed. But I, I've said that to many of them. Um, well, Peter, what do I say about Peter? I mean, you know, he's he's kind of like a hobbit. He has a <laughs> this huge, huge heart and cares so much about people. Um, very smart, very creative. He used to come to the set, you know, we were there in the winter, in flip-flop shorts and a damn jacket <laughs> with his big bushy beard. Um, but he will always have a close place in my heart. Um, 
my husband, Christopher Stone, died while I was doing that movie. First, he had a heart attack, so I came back and took right. care of him, and everybody thought he was fine. And four days later, he died of a heart attack, so I had to get on a plane again and come back and do his service and pick up my little girl and my nanny and take them back with me. And so I went in to settle up at the end and pay them all these flights that I had taken. And the bookkeeper said, no, this is Peter's gift to you. He he didn't even believe you would be back, D. So he just wants to gift you. Yeah, and that, that story alone tells you the kind of man Peter is. Right, yeah. And he, you know, he's gone on to you know, making more incredible movies as well. So it just the trajectory from uh, Heavenly Creatures, I believe, right, to frighteners and then moving on so he, he's definitely had a tremendous career oh yes and probably is just in the bare middle of it right yeah absolutely but yeah anyone who hasn't seen frighteners or hasn't seen it in a while check it out michael j fox is great d is great uh i think john astin it was he had a great role in it too a lot of a lot of great characters in that as well. oh there's so many great cameos in it yeah yeah uh, another director I mean, if, if you're basically, you know, the queen of horror, he is basically the king of the horror directors in Wes Craven. Well, Wes, you know, we both worked together at the very, very beginning of our careers. Right. And what I remember about Wes is that he really was, he really was the demeanor uh, that a college professor is, which he was and just quiet and very centered and knew exactly what he wanted, but but ran a very calm ship, which we really needed because it was a tough, tough shoot. But the director sets the mood the of, right. of the show. Right. If he's a screamer, everybody's tense. Right. You know, if he has um, I mean, the best combination for me is if they know exactly what they're doing and um, they hold a balance for everybody on the set, make everybody feel important, and yet we respect them because we see they know what they're doing. Right, and that kind of like leads me into the next director you worked with, Rob Zombie. Oh, dear God, I could go on about Rob for two days. <laughs> I adore Rob. Um, I adore him as a person, and I adore him as a director. I think he's one of the most creative people we have around now. I mean, there's just nothing he can't do. And what I really appreciate about Rob is that he allows us all to come in and um, really bring in our own ideas and bring in our own input. You know, again, he knows exactly what he wants, but he also knows that when he encourages everybody's creativity to get expressed, that's that's really when the project takes on new life and expands out of itself. And too many directors are too much in fear that they don't know to be able to let go that much. Right, right. And uh, the, the movie is coming out soon, right? 
the one you worked on, Three from Hell? Three from Hell will be out September. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's so I have back to back release. That's great. That's like credit, uh, what, one ninety nine or something like that. <laughs> I I don't know. At some time this year, I went over two hundred, according to my publicist. Right. So I went. Yeah. Wow, I don't know when it, when that happened. I guess I just really love everything I do. Right, that's great. And then uh, finally, uh, Louis Teague, who uh, directed probably your favorite role. You said Cujo. Yep, yep, Cujo. I I thank God that Louis came on. You know, uh, Peter Medic was originally directing it. We got two days in, and there were a lot of creative differences. Um, and Dan Blatt, I mean, obviously, he's an amazing director. I want to make sure I state that. Right. Um, but um, Dan Blatt had worked with Lewis kind of in the beginning stages of Cujo before a different studio came in and wanted a different director. So um, when that happened, he called Lewis, and Lewis said, yeah, I'm there. And between Lewis and Jan DeBont and Dan Blatt and Neil Maclis, our uh, producer, uh, and, and the cast that we had, I mean, it was, you know, everybody, again, was really at the beginning of these extraordinary careers. Right. And... Um, we just made magic together. We trusted each other, but God, you know, Lewis, um, he's very spiritual and incredibly intelligent. And uh, he just really kept a really fine balance, which I needed badly because it was a tough shoot, tough emotionally and physically on me. Right. Yeah, I, I, I remember you saying that. Um, yeah, so that... I haven't seen that in a while. I need to revisit that, and because uh, I remember it just being fantastic and you know scare the crap out of me. <laughs> but it, it was uh, definitely definitely a memorable movie. But like to you, like what what makes a good horror movie? Um, well, I think most of the things we call horror movies today are not real horror movies. They're slasher movies, and there's a place for those too. But they're not horror films. A good horror film. Uh, takes time to establish the characters and their relationships so that you really care about what's happening to them and you're on the ride with them. Um, a Quiet Place last year I thought was a brilliant horror film right. and really paid homage to the true genre of horror. Um, I, and I, I love them because they you know again give me that incredible emotional art to play yeah I, I always felt the difference like between slash and horror is like in a slashing movie you, you kind of root for the people to die where in a horror movie you care whether they die or not uh, I, I'm gonna steal that line <laughs> so well said yep yeah it's, you're it's, right you're absolutely right Right, because you know the deaths are gruesome. You know, everyone's cheering. Where like you know, in, a, in a theater and horror movie, you kind of like, oh, you know, you get the big sigh because the character dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a difference between yeah, kill him, kill him, and oh, don't go out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But um, and, and 
with, with, with this one, not horror at all. I know it was a, a small brief role, but you played Ed Helms' mom on The Office. Uh, did you en enjoy your time there, and do you enjoy comedies and working on comedies in, in general? Oh, sure. I I enjoyed very much doing The Office. I mean, I wish I had have, had the opportunity to do more on the show uh, that I did, but everybody was great. Everybody was very welcoming. I like doing comedy. I'm actually very good at comedy um, and would like to do more of it. And what really rocks my boat is the dramatic emotional stuff. Right. Yeah, and we're so glad you went that route because we wouldn't have all these great roles that you did. But, D, this was, this was so great. Thank you so much. Go check out Red Christmas. That's on, it's on streaming. That's on Netflix right now. Dolls is out now. Critters Attacks comes out in... October and Three from Hell comes out in September, right? Yep. I think I got it. You got it. Good awesome. job. Awesome. And all the 200 rolls, if you watch one a day, it'll it'll, <laughs> it'll keep you busy. Yeah, maybe in a couple of years I'll have 365 and you can watch one of these movies every day. <laughs> yeah. That would, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. <laughs> Thank you, darling. <laughs> And a special thanks to Dee for joining us today. Go check her out on Twitter at D underscore Wallace. Her website is imdwallace.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at thefirstnoel19. Be sure to like the page of Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show's on SoundCloud. It's on Podbean. Go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise, t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, phone cases, it's there. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.